0: Good morning, All Souls family. My name is Rusty Pritchard. I'm one of the elders here at All Souls. I'm just rotating back on to the active session after having had a year of sabbatical. Um, It's a real privilege to serve in that position. But I have a couple of different privileges today, which mean that I get to stand here in front of you and introduce our guest preacher this morning. Um, It's Kendra Jeffries. And if I were blindfolded, and I, yeah. If I were blindfolded and I threw a dart, and I'm glad that I don't have a dart, I would hit somebody who would probably do a better job at introducing Kendra than I would because she has been a faithful part of All Souls along with her husband Clay for years before my family even came to All Souls. I think we overlapped for some time and I knew and knew of Clay, but I hadn't met Kendra until a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, like everything was in the past, just before the pandemic. Um, And Taffany Van Weingarten made sure to introduce me and Joanna to Kendra, uh, and my kids at the same time, uh, as people who really ought to know each other. Uh, Kendra was at the time in senior leadership at Mission to the World. Like Joanna, she has a degree in anthropology, and Joanna works in public health, a field in which Kendra has an advanced degree. So we had a lot in common. Uh, from the start. And Taffany was right. My family was delighted then, a couple of years later, to find out that the Board of Friends of Refugees, one of our core ministry partners here at All Souls, had picked Kendra to become their executive director in the summer of 2021, right? Kendra had been at FOR for about a year when she and I started meeting to chat about some of the things she wanted to accomplish there. And not long after that, she created a position and hired me for it. So it's my, it's my sister in Christ and my boss that I'm introducing <laughs> Kendra to you this morning. That was about a year ago and so I've had about a year to study her as a colleague and as a supervisor. And it's been great. Her experience in leading an organization, managing teams, planning, budgeting. They provided a, a crash course for me in nonprofit leadership management and organization. But What is really significant is that she thinks about these things in terms of what does it mean to do these things as a follower of Christ, not just to be part of an organization that does the right things and accomplishes what God wants to accomplish in the world, but recognizing that God is very concerned about the transformation of the staff, the board, the donors, the volunteers, that is the how we do things that really testifies to the reality of God in our lives. I've also gotten to know, as many of you already know, what a super volunteer clay is, and how as a married couple, they show up in each other's lives. And I was just struck in thinking about this introduction, how they're in the same line of work. They are, uh, one of them is in the mortgage industry, and one is in the nonprofit uh, industry, but they're both involved in helping people find and make a home. For Kendra, that's folks who are newcomers to the US, who are resettled here as refugees. That's a theme that I've picked up and learned from Kendra, that serving refugees is not like doing philanthropy among the poor and the oppressed, that it's much more like providing hospitality and welcome. And that's the ethos that she brings to Friends of Refugees, and I won't say more about that because I think it'll come up in the things that she shares with us shortly. It's a gift to work with someone with such a depth of wisdom and experience about mission. I've never brought any topic up with Kendra, and she says, wow, I've never thought about that before. In fact, the two responses that I usually get are, well, after she's listened really well and heard what I have to say, she'll say, I have a few thoughts about that. And then you find out all the ways in which your initial idea could be made stronger and better for the world. But if she ever says, I have a lot of thoughts about that, then you should probably have brought a lunch. (laughs) Anyway, I'm very excited to hear what my dear sister in Christ has to share with us this morning. Please welcome Kendra Jeffries.
1: <laughs> oh, that was good, Rusty. That was really good. He asked me, I guess it was earlier last week, he goes, Hey, I'm introducing you. Is there anything you want me to say? And I was like, Meh, you know me. Just be nice. Try not to tell too many lies. <laughs> so, thank you. Actually, let me move that off the communion table. Nope. I'm just going to sit it right there. All right. Hello and welcome. Before we read the passage today, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for asking me to speak today. And thank you, Bonti, for finding a home, for my water. Thank you for the All Souls Session, for inviting me to share, and to also just being an incredible partner with Friends of Refugees over the years. As Rusty mentioned, on a personal level, my husband Clay and I have both been deeply impacted by this church. We ser- we were here worshiping for about 12 years and just recently started visiting again. And so when I look at this room, my heart is very full. I see people who ha- represent many, many years of friendship, and investment in both of our lives. And so I can honestly stand before you today and say that you all have helped shape and form both Clay and I into the people we are today. As Rusty mentioned, I lead the team at Friends of Refugees. For those of you who are not familiar with what that is, it is a Christian community development nonprofit based in Clarkston, Georgia, which is right next door. And we have been walking alongside refugees for the the last 28 years as they rebuild their lives in America. And for a long time, All Souls has been a very enthusiastic and active partner. Actually, very early on in the life of the church, All Souls started coming alongside refugees as they resettled in Decatur and in Clarkston. So on behalf of our board, I've been sent to say thank you. Thank you as a congregation for your faithfulness and making the kingdom of God visible. And you are. I know that I have seen firsthand the fruits of your vision of practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. And I would just say this. um, I don't know how many of you are aware, but this past week, there was actually a team from All Souls volunteering at our summer youth experience in the glorious 80 to 90 degree Georgia heat. They were cheerfully providing activities for refugee youth who otherwise would have just been sitting in their apartments. I was actually also in a small group at All Souls years ago where I had my first direct interaction with refugees. So I was in a a women's small group here and we decided to partner with an Iraqi refugee family as they built a new life in America. And it was actually this experience with this family that directly impacted my decision later to accept the role of leading Friends of Refugees. So I'm saying all these things because sometimes when you sit in church, you don't see the long-term vision of the fruits of your, your labor and your faithfulness. And I want you to hear, wow, there are many people outside of these four walls who are grateful for this congregation and for your long commitment and faithfulness to welcome refugees, not just in your words, but in action. So, thank you. And now if we could have the reading of God's word from Romans 15, 1 through 7.
2: All right, first, um, let's pray. Um, compassionate God, we lean on your patience and grace as we approach your word. We are slow to understand and slower still to follow. Help us, soften our hearts, and uncloud our minds so that we will rejoice in your wisdom, eagerly bend to your teaching, and follow wherever you lead. Romans 15 verses 1 through 7 We who are strong ought to bear the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. God. Thank you.
1: For those of you who are new and visiting today, the church is in the middle of an eight-week series focused on the one another passages in the New Testament. So the question before us for these eight weeks is, as new creations in Christ, how then shall we relate to one another, both relating to fellow Christians and more broadly with everyone we come into contact with? So far in this eight-week series, we've examined love one another, bear with one another, encourage one another, and today we look at accept one another. So as we move through this One Another series, you'll notice a recurring theme that every speaker, every preacher will will touch on, that the power to love, to bear with, to encourage and accept one another is vitally connected to the overflow of God's work in our interior lives. It's our spiritual transformation on the inside that fuels our outer transformation and how we relate to one another. So before we dive specifically into Romans 15, I want to invite you to zoom out with me, not on a conference call. Don't worry. (laughs) I want to invite you to zoom out with me to 30,000 feet to look at two questions that if we understand these two questions more fully, we'll understand this passage better. Okay, are you ready? Zoom. All right, the first question, who is Paul writing the book of Romans to? Who is the audience that is receiving this letter? So Paul is writing a letter to Christians who live in the ancient city of Rome. He did not know them. These were not his buddies or his friends. This was not actually a church he had planted. And actually, at the time of this writing, Paul had had never met anyone Um, that we know of associated with the church he had only heard about reports of this church the absence of references to other apostles suggests that the roman church was likely without any direct oversight or teaching from the other apostles so they may have been a truly organic church plant so we know that the roman church was actually made up of two ethnic groups jewish background christians many of whom still observed Jewish dietary laws, and non-Jewish or Gentile Christians. Oh wait, many of whom did observe Jewish dietary laws, sorry. And then Gentile Christians who did not observe Jewish dietary laws. So both of these ethnic groups were, were Christ followers, but navigating the different practices and beliefs around food in particular was leading to all sorts of tension in the church. So Paul is writing to a church that was struggling. They're from different ethnic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds. How do we do life together when we really disagree and have tension about these issues that are close to our heart? Okay, so that's who he's writing to. What is the overall purpose of the book of Romans? This has been really interesting for me to be able to study this passage. I don't know about you all, but I've read Romans many times, but having this opportunity to dive deeper led me to research and and learn even more. And it turns out that Romans is actually a pretty unusual letter in the New Testament. It reads more like a theological treatise than a letter, and it actually represents Paul's most comprehensive explanation of the gospel of any of his writings in the New Testament. So if you look at the total contents of Romans, 73% of the letter actually occurs in the first 11 chapters. And in those first 11 chapters, Paul lays out a really careful explanation of the gospel message, which is all of us, no matter how good or moral we try to be, are separated from God. And our hope in having a relationship with God is not in trying harder to be good, but rather to accept the righteousness offered by God through Christ's death on the cross. So trusting in Jesus' perfect sacrifice is what brings us into right relationship with God. So that's what the first 11 chapters are spent covering. So it's only after spending three-fourths of the letter, carefully lay, laying down the fundamentals of the gospel, that Paul then turns to what we call Christian living principles, which starts in chapter 12. And it continues on through chapter 15. So basically, it's if you understand this, your relationship with Christ and who you are and with God, let's talk about that a lot, and then this is how this should spill out and affect the very practical ways we live together. Okay, now we're zooming back down. Romans 15, we understand who Paul was writing to a multi-ethnic church, struggling with some tensions. Why was he writing them? He wanted to show them, that when you really understand the gospel, then this is how it should impact how you live. So as I mentioned, the theme today is looking at the verse, accept one another. Which is in Romans 15, 7. And the NIV translation we have uh, listed in the bulletin says, Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So let's pause and think about that phrase, accept one another. So today in our culture, we tend to associate the notion of acceptance with passivity. Or kind of a spirit of resignation. You cease resisting something, right, and you accept it. So think about that. Um, think about some of the phrases in which you hear the word accept, which by the way is not a bad negative word, but our cultural context kind of usually uses it in a tone of resignation. I accept this person will not change. I accept This will be a very hot summer. I accept I'll never see Beyonce or Taylor Swift. Maybe. I still haven't accepted it. (laughs) See, I haven't accepted it. So So, do you see acceptance is not negative, but it's frequently used with a tone of like, okay, I'm going to cease resisting. But the Greek word that's used here in verse 7 is far warmer, and more vigorous and meaning than what we usually associate with accept. The Greek word is called proslambano. I'm going to have it up on the screen. Maybe. <laughs> ah, and I'm going to do something so un-Presbyterian, and the only reason I can do this is because I've been in the Presbyterian church for a long time. I want everyone to stand up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on. <laughs> We're going to stand up. I'm using a lot of relational capital here, I know it. Okay, and we are gonna say pro slumbano three times, and the third time should be the loudest. Okay, so one, two, three, pro slumbano. Okay, that was one. One, two, three, pro slumbano. Okay, and then I really need y'all to shout like you're in summer camp. One, two, three. Pro Oh, yes, that was awesome. Thank you. Okay, we are, so I want you to think about pro slumbano, that actually means to welcome and receive. So the essence of pro is to welcome into one's circle and to receive into one's love. It's a very different connotation, right? Than just like, I accept this, I accept this gift. Oh, no, I welcome and receive this gift. So, prosambam, we're going to keep that up there because we're going to keep talking about it. If there's one thing I hope you leave with today, it's remembering this word because almost every time you see the word accept in the New Testament, in the NIV version, it actually is this word. Welcome and receive. to well, welcome and receive. Ooh, it's so much more lively. Um, okay, so... So if you read an Amplified uh, Bible translation, which the Amplified Bible translation often tries to catch the nuances of the Greek, it actually, verse 7 actually reads, welcome and receive into your hearts one another, then even as Christ has welcomed and received you for the glory of God. A little different feeling, right? So verse 7 sets us up to actually go back and look at the, the first six verses, Because he's like, okay, what does it actually look like to proslambano, to welcome and receive? So let's back up to the first six verses of Romans. Okay, so Paul gives us practical examples of proslambano. First, verses 1 through 3, to proslambano looks like pleasing your neighbor instead of yourself. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for, for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those you insult must have have fallen on me. So I mentioned earlier the Roman church was made up of two different ethnic groups, Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And this multi-ethnic very new church was grappling with tensions stemming so primarily around conflicts around food and dietary restrictions. So on one hand, some of the Jewish Christians still felt compelled by conscience to observe Jewish dietary restrictions and customs. Those were some of the strictest in the world. And then on the other hand, you have Roman Gentile Christians from pagan backgrounds who may have had some of their own um, food rituals related to pagan sacrifice, but they did not observe the same dietary restrictions and rituals. And in fact, in a larger social context, Gentile Romans were actually known to look down on Jewish customs around food. So earlier in Romans, remember that chapters 1 through 11, Paul establishes that following dietary customs or observing special feast days is not actually what makes you right with God. Only faith in Christ brings us into a right relationship with God. However, Paul tells those Gentile Christians who he's referring to as the strong, they're the ones who feel totally free to eat what they want, and yet they are not to flaunt their freedom before those whose conscience is tender. Thus, verse 1 is saying, the strong And faith should patiently bear with those who are still tender in their faith as it pertains to different practices. And why is that? Because we ought to be pleasing our neighbors, not ourselves. As it says in verse two, each one of us should please our neighbors for their good, to bring them up, to build them up, sorry. The Greek word for neighbor here in verse two, literally means the person who is right next to you. So what Paul is doing is he's taking something that he's saying to the church, this is how you need to, to treat each other within the church, and now he's expanding it to your neighbor, to those outside the church, to the people who are really literally next, next to you. At Friends of Refugees, uh, we work with people from many different cultures. Um, lots of different uh, customs, and so it's, it's an incredible privilege to just see the diversity of culture around the world. So one way that we have learned to please our refugee neighbors is actually in the way we dress. So we work with people, as I said, from many different cultures, and the majority of them are coming from places where they're used to a more modest style of dress, particularly among women. While we don't seek to dress like the people we serve, we do try and keep in mind general principles like covering our shoulders, avoiding shorts, or really short shorts, tight-fitting clothes, et cetera. Does that mean we have to dress this way? No, but many of us choose to dress this way a little bit more modestly, I would say, than what we normally might be if we were around only other Americans. And we do this because we know that many of our refugee friends, both Christian and Muslim refugee friends, find the clothing norms in America very troubling. <laughs> so not just among the women, they, among the men too. So not long ago, a new American, uh, so someone who came over as a refugee and it's become an American, a new American took aside one of our staff Ooh, and let her know that, I know you think your outfit is cute, because it was, but I'm just saying it was, the refugee women that she was trying to teach simply would not listen to her or respect her because if she continued to dress like that. It actually took a lot of courage for our new American to be like, come over here, let's have a conversation. You can't dress like that. Um, now... This person could have stood her ground, asserted her freedom to dress however she wanted to because she's a woman living in America and clothing is an essential form of expressing freedom, right? That's kind of where we live. But no, this staff member humbly listened to this new American's feedback. And for the sake of pleasing her neighbor, she chose to limit her freedom and wear clothes that were different than what she would normally wear, probably not as cute. And she did that because she really wanted these refugee women to be able to more fully hear what she was trying to teach them. And if clothing was gonna be a distraction, it wasn't worth it. Her righteousness and value were not tied to her clothes. She knew that. And yet she also recognized this was creating an obstacle in her, her time with these women. This is a very small example of one of the ways that we can please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. At verse three, to welcome and receive one another can look like bearing insults or a social shame on behalf of one another. It Says for even Christ did not please himself that as it is written, the insults of those you insult have fallen on me. Now, you might read this verse and think, is this telling me to be a doormat? Don't defend myself against injustice. And that would be an understandable, maybe first reaction to reading this. Yet, in this case, the verse invites us to consider that even Christ, our King, the Son of God, did not seek to please himself. And instead, he was willing to suffer insult and social reproach for the sake of God's glory and on behalf of one another. Because Christ is both our model and motivation, we too should be willing to suffer insults and shame for each other. So as I mentioned earlier, um, one of the social shame that may have faced the people in this church were that Roman Gentile Christians... They've been embarrassed to associate with Jewish Christians when they were observing dietary laws. Um, they could have literally experienced social derision and shame from others in society. And Paul is saying, that's okay. It's okay to suffer insults on behalf of one another. Look to Christ, who did not seek to please himself. And a modern-day version, um, you know, one form of us bearing insults can take is just for us to bear insults from others about Christianity or the church without responding defensively or harshly. Um, and I will say, you know, there there are things that we've done that are very cringy and deserve to be called out and, like, slapped a bit. <laughs> so I would just say there are some things that are fair game, actually, to be insulted. But in general, um, you know, there There's not a great association with Christians um, in our larger culture. I'll never forget when I was in college. So this was like only 10 years ago. Just kidding. (laughs) It was maybe a little longer. (laughs) But I'll never forget the contempt I experienced from so many classmates where I went to school when they learned I was a Christian and not just like a cultural Christian who grew up in the church, because I didn't grow up in the church. I became a Christian in high school. Um, it was really hard. It was seen as anti-intellectual. Um, I remember I had one friend be like, gosh, you seem so smart. I can't believe you believe that. <laughs> so very, you know, my, and, and I'll say my first instinct was not to bear insults. You know what my first instinct was? get out like the apologetic books and like try and get some debating bombs going on. And um, that didn't work well. That really wasn't a great picture of what does it mean to model humility and forbearance. So a turning point for me actually in college came when I just laid down those defenses and did not try and prevent myself from experiencing people's contempt and scorn for being a Christian but I really tried to remain open to relationship with them and to also ask them questions and to be in a posture of humble listening, which was very confusing for many people. Um, But God really used that willingness to not be defensive, to lay down my desire to self-protect. And he really brought about some incredibly rich relationships, which as many of us probably know, so many people have had really horrible experiences with the church in the past, and there's a lot of hurt and anger. So when you're able to actually interact with a Christian who's not trying to like debate you into belief or argue with you and just someone who's present, it can be transformative. Um, so I still have some wonderful friendships from college to this day with people who are um, not into God, but we have a fantastic relationship. So again, the Christ did not please himself, he allowed others to insult um, him in a way that with without being defensive. And I would just say this before we leave this, this part. I think it's important because a lot of times we skip over verse three because it's like meh he's also quoting from Psalm sixty nine. When when you see that quotation in verse three, Paul is referring back to Psalm sixty nine nine. Um, so he why I think it's important is because we live in an age that celebrates the insult. Um, I mean, we ha- just the other day I was like, is this real about Musk and Zuckerberg going to do a cage fighting match? Is that real? And I looked it up, supposedly it's real. And so I'm like, these are two grown men, maybe. I don't know, they might not be grown. <laughs> but <laughs> but, I, but what I'm trying to say is, We live in the age of the clapback, right? This is our our age. Actually, I had to look up clapback at one point because I'm like, I don't understand this term. I'm seeing it everywhere. Everybody's clapping back. What does that mean? (laughs) So for those of you who are like me, the dictionary defines a clapback as responding quickly and sharply to criticism, often with a withering comeback, right? To respond quickly and sharply to a criticism. So I want us to think about this. Our culture teaches us to clap back when we feel insulted or shamed. Our king teaches us to hold space for people who are reacting out of anger without feeling the need to respond in kind. It's different, right? So if you're a Christ follower sitting here today, are you beginning to feel the weight of what Paul is challenging us to do? This is hard. And I don't know about you, but pleasing my neighbor, restricting my freedoms, not clapping back (laughs) is counterintuitive to all I'm inclined to do. So how do we actually live like this? Well, Paul talks to us about it in verses four through six. And the good news is is that Paul didn't start his letter to the Romans with these really hard things. You know, it wasn't like, Romans 1-1, let people insult you, Um, bear with each other. He doesn't start there. Remember, three-fourths of this entire letter is Paul carefully laying out the foundation of how God provides a way for us to be in right relationship with him and the nature of our life with Christ. And only after this does Paul turn to those practical ways and how our behavior should change. The fruit of our behavior comes as our inner self is transformed. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world, in a humble and loving spirit. Amen? Amen? Come (laughs) on, i got my friends here. Yeah. (laughs) So it is God who changes us from the inside out. It's God who gives us the strength to endure. So how do we get that? Verses 4 through 6, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a few things... uh, out of verses four through six is that we need endurance and encouragement, which I so love. This is not, and everybody's going to be happy and you get along and you're going to have parties all the time. Actually, the Greek word for endurance here means the bearing of pain from a wound. Hmm. It's not like, I guess you could say an endurance athlete is bearing pain from a wound. You've got to ask yourself, what is wounded? What are you bearing the pain of what is being wounded? I would venture to guess usually it's our pride, our love of self, our love of image. There's real pain that comes internally when you feel like something that you want to have is being wounded. But we need endurance and encouragement because unity, which um, verse 6 talks about, so that with one mind and one voice, He's talking about unity. You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unity of mind and attitude does not mean uniformity. God loves diversity, right? Diversity in creation has been present since the beginning, and it is for God's glory. We know that diverse cultures, peoples, personalities, Of God's creation. However, navigating diversity with love takes endurance and encouragement because it requires us to go out of our comfort zone. Think about it how many of us have close friends who are very, very different from us in all the ways, in all the ways, culture, language, socioeconomic status, personality, etc.? Sure, that hopefully we all have some friends who are different, and that's wonderful and a treasure, but most people around the world actually have something in common, which is that we all feel more comfortable with people who are like us, culturally, linguistically, socioeconomically. And so Paul is writing to this multi-ethnic church and using terms like endurance and encouragement. Because navigating cultural differences with love can be wearying for everybody. And he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. But seek instead to please your neighbor. Please each other. Build each other up. What does this mean to pro You'll need endurance and encouragement as you pro And that actually comes from Scripture. Uh, the last church Clay and I were at actually merged with a Spanish-speaking congregation that had lost access to their building. So kind of quite suddenly, we uh, our church began to incorporate Spanish songs into our, our worship. And the English translations of the songs were not normally provided. So not only were the, the native English speakers exposed to a different style of music, um, which was actually far more upbeat and probably happy than anything we were used to, Uh, we also got a tiny, tiny glimpse of what it's like to sing worship songs in a language you don't understand. It can make you feel a little disconnected. It was actually an experience Clay and I appreciated, but not everyone in the church felt the same way. They are like, shouldn't the Spanish speakers just learn English? Of course. Our pastors heard people's complaints, and thankfully, they stayed the course. They're like, this is actually what it means to love the neighbor. And, and it, even when people are like, well, can you provide some English translation so I understand what I'm singing? No, we're not going to do that. Because guess what? These people, are our, our brothers and sisters who came, this is what they experience every time they're sping, singing one of our English songs. Do we provide Spanish translations? So having songs in Spanish during the service gave the people who were not native English speakers, the chance to worship in their heart language, to feel like we are all together. And then we also began to change some of the English songs. It's funny, Bonti mentioned this. um, One of the songs we we sang a lot uh, was the song Christ Be All Around Me. Because if you'll notice, for someone who is learning English, if you go back and look at your bulletin, the words are very easy. There are a lot of directional words, um, like up, below, down, um, so that even if it wasn't in Spanish, we really started to think about what English songs are we using that could be a little bit easier for people to sing and join with, even if they themselves may not understand it. And you know the irony about that is that song, uh, Christ Be All Around Me, is like a riff from St. Patrick's Prayer, you know, an ancient ancient prayer. So it's not like, oh, we just make this up. It it is going back to the ancient church. But what struck me most about that experience was that our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters were constantly faced with discomfort on behalf of the native English speakers. And yet they kept showing up joyfully and cheerfully and taking part in worship. They also were like, we're going to introduce you to some better music. And this isn't a Spanish translation of an English song. It was like, no, this is literally like, this from Mexico, it's from Venezuela, like, and it was beautiful. It was such a great experience. But it wasn't easy, right, for a number of people to grapple with those cultural differences. So, as you can see why Paul talks about the need for endurance and encouragement. And then, and I promise I'm wrapping this up, (laughs) where do we get this endurance and encouragement? Uh, I would just say, you know, Verse 5 through 6, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I would just call your attention to what we are not told to do. We're not told to muster up endurance and encouragement ourselves. Paul is not a CrossFit coach. He is not. Power through it. Just, you know, find what's ever in you to bring up that endurance and encouragement. No, Paul clearly says it is God who gives us the power of endurance and encouragement. And he refers back to verse 4. It is through scripture. It's not something we manufacture ourselves. It's really a gift. And yet... This gift does require active cooperation. In order to receive the endurance and encouragement God provides us through scripture, we actually need to be reading scripture. So throughout scripture, we are called to actively cooperate with God and becoming more like Jesus. This isn't like, I'm going to sit on the couch and hope something changes in my heart. It's putting yourself under the waterfall of God's grace and being um, in interaction with him through prayer and scripture. As Christian writer Dallas Willard was often fond of saying, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So, the result of the endurance and encouragement God provides us through scripture is that we would have the same mind towards each other. And finally, we come to the end, which is where we started in verse 7. I mean, welcome and receive one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Christ is both our model and our motivation. And because Christ first welcomed and received us, we are to welcome and receive one another so that we bring glory to God. At Friends of Refugees, our leaders and boards seek to model welcoming and receiving our neighbor as Christ received us. Refugees are people who have fled their home country due to war, violence, or persecution. They often flee for their lives in the middle of the night with little notice. And when a refugee is given the chance to come to America, they're grateful to to be here to rebuild their life. But the reality is that most arrive with great sorrow. They've suffered tremendous loss as they have fled their homes. And so welcoming and receiving one another can look different. But I want to give you a picture of how it can look as I close this up. There is a small group of people here at All Souls that have been walking alongside a Muslim Afghan refugee family for the last year. Their welcoming and receiving this family has taken many forms. They drive them to doctor's appointments. They organize a carpool for the mother so she can participate in one of our English classes. They just spend time with them in relationship. And while this is a lovely family, it's not an easy situation. They've experienced incredible trauma and health issues over the last two years. And starting over in a new country where you don't know the language or the customs is incredibly difficult. But this family is tangibly experiencing God's warm welcome through this small group of All Souls people. And why I think this is such a beautiful picture is because we don't have to conserve grace and mercy only for other Christians, only for other people who look like us. God is so merciful to us that his grace fills us up and overflows out of his people to all the nations for his glory. So as we leave today, I would just encourage you to ask yourself, where might God be asking me to step out of my comfort zone to pro to welcome and receive one another? Let's pray. Uh, merciful God, Lord, your kingdom welcomes people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. You sent us your Son, Jesus Christ, and it's through his blood that we are redeemed and all divisions are removed. Lord Jesus, give us your eyes so that when we see your face and those who do not look or speak like us, I pray that you would give us courage to stand up in defense of the vulnerable. Lord, we pray specifically for our refugee neighbors and friends who have been forced to flee and leave behind family members and all they have ever known. Lord, help us to remember that Jesus himself was a refugee. He was forced to flee with his parents, Lord, in the middle of the night to Egypt under the threat of death. We know there are so many people fleeing war and violence all over the world today, and we pray that you would prepare your people all over the world to be welcoming and receiving friends to those who are fleeing. Thank you, Lord, for the ways your people at All Souls have brought comfort and courage and joy to many people over the years. We ask that you would continue to strengthen this church and that you would give all of us courage and endurance. And Lord, it is in your great mercy that we entrust this prayer to you. In the powerful name of Christ, amen.